Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode 114. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Tuesday, July 21st. We are closing in on opening day, just two days until we have meaningful baseball games in North America at the big league level with teams not just playing against themselves. We have some roster changes to discuss. We have new roles to talk about. We have a few injuries to get to. And we're going to make some of our predictions for the upcoming season on this episode. We're going to kind of split some of the predictions up between today's episode. We'll have a few more on Thursday. Eno, how's it going for you on this Tuesday? I watched a baseball game between two different teams yesterday. I watched like two or three of them. It's nice. That was step one, like starting to play other teams, even though it doesn't count. And step two is to actually have it count. So I I feel like we've made a lot of progress in the last couple of days. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about data this year. Um, I have now seen a 54-foot home run. Um, (laughs) uh, I believe somebody hit a 680-foot home run. The other day, and uh, Bryce Harper uh, hit like a four-foot home run. So, uh, good luck to all of us data chasers. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they could fix that in the next uh, 48 hours or so. I'm sure that won't be a problem. It'll be just about as easy as finding a stadium for the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> yeah, that, that's still a work in progress. It's actually related. You know, the reason, I mean, they're talking about them needing to be in a major league stadium and a big part of it is lighting. And I, and I'm, I'm not going to poo poo that. That's definitely a big part of it because minor league parks are, none of them are up to speed lighting wise. And so you would see that on the cast and they, they want these to be look professional. So for example, basketball, their court, they just unveiled it today and it has like 50 cameras and is like the most digital thing ever. Um, and they're going to just, you know, since they don't have fans, they're just going to really, uh, you know, produce the crap out of what they do have, you know. Um, and I think baseball wants to do something similar, wants to have a good production. Um, and so they don't want to have bad lighting. So I think that's why probably Pittsburgh is the, the biggest solution that I believe in, uh, them playing in Pittsburgh. I know it's a problem for Pittsburgh. It's a problem for the Pirates. You really want to build like four or five clubhouses, like build a couple extra clubhouses because you don't want to make Pittsburgh pack up after every homestand and, you know, all this stuff and uh, pick out their lockers and get rid of them, you know? So, you but, but the thing is with no fans, there's a lot of concourse. So I think you could probably figure out a way to, to have four uh, clubhouses there and, um, you know, uh, and figure it out that way. I don't know about scheduling. They'd have to do something with day and night games probably. Uh, so the losers are Toronto Blue Jays fans that want to watch uh, most of their games at night. Uh, the losers are Blue Jays hitters, you know, down a couple percent across the board. And uh, the the main winners are Nate Pearson and Hunjin Ryu. Yeah, I mean, Ryu pitching in Pittsburgh instead of Toronto, that's a nice little bump, right? Huge difference. Yeah, I, I do think the the difficulty of playing never at home, you'd make Pittsburgh your new home. It'd be familiar. You wouldn't be constantly traveling. Something about mm-hmm. that, especially last minute, does make you wonder if there's going to be some sort of performance drop across the board. That lack of, of comfort, of, of sleeping in your own bed, things like that, right? Like small stuff on the margins, but I do think I, I trust all of the Jays pitchers a little bit more in PNC than I do 
in Rogers Center. It doesn't change the schedule. I think part of my fear of a lot of their pitchers, their back-end pitchers especially, comes from having to face you know the Yankees and uh, the Rays and even the Red Sox without bets are still at least a average lineup. But I think you could throw at least the top-end guys against Boston this year. I don't think they're uh, so scary that you you know have to steer away from them from your SP3, SP4 range. Those guys are still fine matchup-wise in that spot. But yeah, very weird to have a, a team still looking for a home uh, just three days before their season opener. Uh, there's been a ton of news, as I mentioned, up top. So let's talk about a few player-related news items. Just before we started recording, the Dodgers optioned Gavin Lux to their minor league camp. I have to think that there is something going on that we don't know about. He was late to camp for undisclosed reasons. But there's also the service time angle. He was a late-season call-up last year. You know, this is a team that has really good depth, and perhaps the Dodgers, looking at those projections, seeing that they are expected to win the division by four or five games, maybe they're content to let some of their depth guys play for the first few weeks and to try and recapture the extra service time that they would have lost by promoting Gavin Lux at the end of last season. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. They're talking about it like he's going to go down and play some minor league games and get a swing right. Yeah. He's not. There's no minor league games. Uh, service time, okay, so they keep him down for six days, and it's not a full year. So at the end of this year, he still has like 1.2 years. I don't like it. He he played last year, right? So it's like, well, it's kind of uh, like what the Astros did with Kyle Tucker. Like Kyle Tucker got a late call up in 2018. Just keep bouncing him down and up. Yeah, and to erase yeah. that, erase that time. I think it was 28 days of service time for Gavin Lux last season. So you you translate that to a shortened season. I think we're looking at maybe three or four weeks for Lux in the minors before they could call him up in order to save that. The, the only other thing that I would say is that this team does have the depth to field a team without Gavin Lux. Maybe that's just what they're saying. Maybe they're like, we can win without him, so let's send him down because we can play, you know. And here's, I think, a, a, a shadow winner. It's probably Beatty, but Edwin Rios, I think, is going to make this roster. And Edwin Rios had an insane barrel rate last year. He definitely has some issues when it comes to defense, uh, making contact, uh, all the other facets of the game. But when he does make contact, it's loud and powerful. Um, And, you know, he bats lefty, so he could be part of the DH solution here. Uh, And I think he's going to make the team if Lux doesn't. But uh, between Rios, Beatty, uh, Peterson, Pollock, Taylor, Lux, Kike, Muncie... These are not all second basemen. I understand. What I'm saying is, like, between those players, you can field a left fielder, a second baseman, a first baseman, a DH. Right. You get eight players for four spots. So they were just like, hey, it's pretty crowded. I guess your swing is jacked up. I don't even know if it is. Um, And uh, we're going to just run with the veterans for a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I think, though, if you drafted Gavin Lux in a redraft league, even if you got him in the 10th, 11th, 12th round, you're probably thinking about cutting him this weekend because we've said this a few times throughout draft prep. You can't wait for guys. If it's not going to be a week, especially, I think you have to let him go and find somebody who's playing a lot to take that roster spot. Man, I am struggling. I am struggling with this. 
uh, because I generally am uh, sit tight. You draft them for reasons, 162, uh, be patient. You'll get your value out of them. I'm usually that guy. And so I've been trying to toggle that and be like, okay, be more aggressive. And I friggin' dropped Ryan Presley in one of my leagues. And now I feel like an idiot, like three days later. Uh, Well, yeah, so you dropped him, what, last week? I went hard after Ender Enciarte. Now I feel like an idiot three days later. That could still be the right move. I think that situation is really odd. (laughs) Yes, you did it a week ago. You did it before we learned that Roberto Ozuna hasn't been throwing. Like That was a strange thing that popped up at the end of last week. So Presley getting a chance to save some games to begin the season, he's definitely rosterable. It's a tough move to have made in hindsight because you just would have cut somebody else to get in Ciarte. But I don't think you can be mad at yourself on that one. No, I actually cut Presley for Enciarte because uh, I activated Knievel. Okay, well, and I think that could be a situation that's a little bit in flux, too, as you're looking for saves. And, and look, closer news has been fast and furious the last 24 hours or so, aside from you know, Ryan Presley now being the closer and waiting in Houston, you know, Corey Knievel being healthy, having a curveball. It's working really well again. I think the velocity is still more like 93, 94, but it's at least trending in the right direction, given that he's still in kind of the end stages of getting back from Tommy John. I don't know if the missing tick or two on the fastball is a red flag right now. I think it's just something to watch as the season begins. You know, Maybe as uh, adrenaline picks up when he gets into a game that counts, yeah. maybe that's where those extra ticks come back from. Doolittle kind of scares us every spring. Uh, with like a 91 mile an hour fastball. And then he tells me repeatedly, like, you know, spring training is still practice. You know, I'll have my 94 when it's time. Yeah. And I, I think I just believe that. I, I, especially in the short relief scenarios, like that extra boost from having a game that counts being on the line. I think there are a lot of players who really rely on that. I'm a little bit more worried for velocity on the extremes. Like, uh, for example, um, Sean Manaya sat 87 last night. That's a problem. That is a problem. And it's not like his secondaries are so amazing that you have to be like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. He'll just throw a bunch of sliders and change-ups. His slider and his change-up are, like, way too similar. I've never seen anything like it. It's the weirdest thing. They're, like, the same pitch. Yeah, Manaya is one of those guys that – Despite where I have him ranked, I rarely take him at that spot. It, it's a I very, it's a very low confidence ranking overall. And <laughs> I've, got a, I've got an auction tonight. I've got an, a draft coming up on Thursday. I don't think I'm going to seek him out. Maybe if he falls, he goes cheap in the auction. I just dropped him to 105. Yeah, I, I get it. There's just not a whole lot there to be excited about right now. The other bullpen situation that has changed a lot is in St. Louis. Quang Hyun Kim is now the front runner to close. Giovanni Gallegos was delayed in his arrival to camp. He was stuck in Mexico, undisclosed reasons. So I still think that one could turn over a couple times during the year, but the prevailing belief or estimation, I think for a lot of us was that Ryan Helsley was probably the favorite to get that job. But Kim getting that chance to begin the season uh, really shakes things up. Part of that also includes Carlos Martinez being confirmed as a starter. That wasn't necessarily locked in before either. So as you start thinking about these guys, Presley and Kim and Knable, Zach Britton, who I wrote up for ads and drops, he's going to close out some games to begin the year with Chapman on the IL. 
there are saves available, but very few of those closers seem like they have the job for more than a week or two. Yes. So how much do you spend? Like somebody in AL Labor spent $37, that's 37% of their FAB, on Trevor Rosenthal. That's a lot. I had a bid on Rosenthal. It was $5. So I think that, yes, aggression is good. You got to be aggressive. It's such a short season. You got to be aggressive. But like, I am not crying about missing out on on Trevor Rosenthal. The one I am mad about is I bid $4 on, on Austin Adams and he went for 5 mm-hmm. Uh And in another league, uh, like at TGFBI, I bid like $13 on Trevor Rosenthal and he went for 23 so on those numbers, I think I need to be more aggressive and up up my numbers a little bit. Like the guys who used to be a dollar need to be five or six. The guys who used to be six need to be 18, that sort of deal. And maybe even a little bit more just because of how seasons work and how aggressive everyone else is going to be. So I'm a little bit mad about those bids, but not being beat 37 to four. I, I didn't want it that bad. Um, I, just back to the Cardinals situation, and, and I do agree with you generally. Like, I don't, I haven't seen a guy be like, okay, I, I like Helsley was close to that, where I was like, ooh, if he's available in my league, I'm going to go get him. Because there is a chance he could close all year. I don't believe that Kim will close all year. And it, I don't even know if he'll start the season as a closer. I put Kim in this interesting group with Ponce de Leon and Gomber where they're more likely to vulture wins in the middle. Uh, all three of those guys, Gomber, Ponceleon, and Kim, have been stretched out more than their traditional relievers. Yeah, I, I just think this is one of those teams that could be a trouble spot for us all season. Like Even with the possibility of a guy being named that guy right now, I just... The whole bullpen, yeah. 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 Because they, they're generally good at turning out guys, you know? And it's kind of hard to keep up with their newest arm. They're kind of a, they're a bit of a relief arm factor. I don't know if they get enough credit for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They always have a a bullpen at the end of the year. That's better than you probably thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So anyway, uh, good luck to anybody drafting for saves. I don't know. I I have the one league where I dropped Presley. I'm, I'm struggling. My closers are Givens, Castillo and Knable, but I feel like this will be such a crap show on that, that I just have to just keep working. You know, the name that you mentioned, though, Austin Adams, I think he's a little more appealing because there's a better chance of him just being the guy in the long run. They've talked about a committee, and Adams has the very high strikeout rate. He has all the things you're looking for in a potential elite closer from a fantasy standpoint. Throws real hard, good breaking ball. I look at him and say, man, they're they're not going to win a lot of games, so you're you're definitely going to have this risk of not getting a lot of chances to even find out if he's the guy in the first couple of weeks. Like that's mm. that's going to be the really stressful situation if they only generate two or three save chances in the first two weeks, and the way the game flows, yeah. maybe it's you know tied in the eighth and he comes in. It's really hard to get a read on those committee situations. Edwards could finish it out. Um, I think Edwards is is a possibility, and then. Uh, Hirano is now on the injured list. Um, so, and Majil is healthy, I guess. So there are, there are a bunch of, there's a bunch of people that could factor into this and it's not the most appealing job in the first place. Did you have any thoughts on Pittsburgh's bullpen, whether it's Kyle Crick or Nick Birdie or Richard Rodriguez or Michael Feliz because Keone Kella is on the IL right now? I think Kella is their best reliever when he's available. I just don't know if he's actually even 
locked into having the job once he comes back. I think he's the guy, but I'm not certain of it. And from there, I'm not even sure who I like most as the replacement. It was Birdie who I put in the column, but I think it's anybody's guess at this point. Right. I think there was a comment from from the manager saying that, you know, Birdie might be it. But uh, and I put I do put Kayla in a slightly different uh, bin than like someone like Jesus Lazardo. There was a group of people that tested positive and like never appeared in camp and were placed on the injured list earlier, uh, like your Kingeries and Naris and those guys that I feel like are more likely to be ready for the season. Um, whereas Kayla was just put on the DL uh, on the 17th. So he's likely to miss uh, a week plus of the season, I would say. Um, which makes that gives enough time to somebody else. And nobody likes Kayla personally, <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. or Crick. There's like a real uh, like team dynamic problem there. They fought repeatedly. They hurt each other. They created uh, tension in the whole locker room. Um, and... I think that Pirates would be gra- glad to get rid of either of them, possibly. Uh, so Birdie could end up be closing at the end of the year after they trade both Kayla and Crick. I mean, that would make sense for this Pirates organization, right? Turn those guys into uh, some actual asset that they could play in the lineup, maybe, or, or a starting pitcher because, you know, Richard Rodriguez and uh, Michael Feliz are good. You know, they're pretty good relievers. Even Nebrowskis is all right. So you could just move everyone up a little bit and and take a shot at getting a starter. So um, I think this is going to be kind of foobar all year too. Uh, I have some shares of Crick uh, because I just believe he was, in terms of the things that have been shown to be useful in the past, I don't even know if they're going to be useful this year. The things that have been shown to be useful in the past when prospecting for closers are velocity, strikeout, and usage. And usage is actually number one. And Crick was basically the setup guy last year. So, and he has... Great velocity and a really good strikeout rate. Let's talk about some rotation news and notes. Sean Newcomb is in for the Braves. I Coming back to the winter, I think, was looking at him as more of a reliever. A lot has changed, though, in terms of just who the Braves have available. So he's going to start the third game of the season. That'll be uh, against the Mets. And he was pitching well in the rotation to begin last season. I think with Newcomb... He's draftable even in like a 12-team mixed league. I think he's an option to be your last pitcher in that format so long as he has a starting job. Yeah, I moved him up into the 90s uh, near Fulty, um, uh, near Trevor Richards, who looks like he might be getting a rotation spot actually in Tampa. Um, you know, uh, near Lynn Blome, Kyle Wright. Uh, there's a group there that is interesting to me, uh, but also not super exciting. And the thing that I worry about with all the Braves pitchers, like in, in, in effect, I almost want Bryce Wilson the most out of some of those back-end starters because they've already said they're going to tandem to some extent. They have an abundance of these sort of middle ground pitchers that are not necessarily closers yet uh, and have a little bit more upside in terms of being able to, to pitch maybe three innings. Um, so I, I have a feeling that, you know, freed goes four, Bryce Wilson goes two, uh, Newcomb goes four, Kyle Wright goes three, or they go three and three. You know what I mean? Like pair these lefty-righty pairs, um, wreak havoc on the opposing lineup, and maybe Soroka and Fulte are the only ones that go five. I mean, Hamels is hurt, right? 
Yeah, Hamels is not close to returning either, according to David O'Brien. He covers the Braves for the Athletics. So I, I think at least for that four spot and that five spot, we could see some tandem stuff. I don't think it impacts Soroka at all. Yeah, Soroka and Fulte, I think, are probably closer to fine. Freed, I'm 50-50 on. Maybe he's fine. But that means that Newcomb, is, like four and five, are probably like Newcomb right. Uh, but that means that Bryce Wilson, Tukey Toussaint are like, you know, coming in in the fourth, I feel like. It's a good way to kind of mitigate Newcomb's command issues. Um, you know, if he if he starts walking guys in the fourth because he's trying to use the changeup more because he's trying to turn the lineup over a second time, then, hey, why watch this when we can bring Tukey in and he can be all fire and flame for an inning and a half or two? Yeah, it could ultimately make Newcomb more effective. I think what's going to be interesting is if he's starting and leaving early, like we've talked about before, then he's not eligible to get wins. If he's a follower, if he ends up being more of a bulk reliever, they put Tukey in front of Newcomb, that could set him up for optimal fantasy value. So I think that's where some of the appeal with Newcomb comes from for me. One of the other big movers in a similar vein is Corbin Burns. He is now in the rotation for the Brewers. Brett Anderson starts the year on the IL. Burns is actually lined up to start the second game of the season against the Cubs on Saturday. He's looked great throughout summer camp. You know, Velo's good. The movement is there. Uh, we know that the slider is just a unhittable, gross pitch for Corbin Burns. Really, it comes down to fastball command and even fastball movement more specifically because when that fastball is in the zone, Hitters can do a lot of damage against it, but the little bits I've seen from Corbin Burns, that fastball looked like it had a lot more movement, more of a cutting action to it, and if it all clicks for Corbin Burns, I mean, he could be a huge value. I jumped him up a little bit on my rankings with an update this week. I think he's definitely draftable in mixed leagues so long as he has a starting job. A little bit like Newcomb, but probably a guy that I like a little bit more than Newcomb because the Brewers don't have quite the same depth behind him they could do some similar things but i think they're going to give burns a chance to actually be a five inning guy yeah yeah i'm trying to rein in my enthusiasm uh you know uh canning griffin canning and Kevin burns are probably among the biggest movers in this uh summer camp situation um i have them both actually ironically right next to each other at about 64 65 so i think that's reasonable um, it's excited, but it's not telling you to make them one of their top four or five pitchers, right? It's, it's kind of like, Hey, look at these guys. Like, look at these guys before you pick up like Alex Wood, probably, you know, cause Alex Wood is probably going to be okay, but these guys could be really good. I keep getting tripped up by Alex Wood because the Dodgers sought him out. They brought him back. They understand his medical history. They knew the quality of their depth. They signed him long before they knew there was going to be a pandemic and that David Price wouldn't be available. And it just seemed like he was ahead of Ross Stripling in their plans for the rotation, which also seems a bit weird because I think Stripling is actually better than Alex Wood. Is Alex Wood susceptible to losing his spot or to being you know, paired up with a Tony Gonsolin? Obviously, Dustin May doesn't have a spot to call his own right now, and that's a really nice luxury to have, too, which the Dodgers roster is just a bunch of luxuries, really, at this point. But I keep looking at Wood, and in one breath, I think he makes sense where he goes around pick 250. And in another, I could see him being pretty easily replaced because of the quality of the options behind him. 
you know, I wish that we had a better sense of velocity. Uh, velocity is pretty big for anybody, but for him, when he's like 91, 92, he's way better than when he's 89, 90. That's not necessarily the case, mostly for how fastballs work. I think it's maybe an indicator of his health in general. Um, but, um, you know, this latest note that he threw 89 pitches in inter-squad with eight strikeouts uh, in six innings is is hopeful. So he could be one of those oatmeal guys um, that is more useful than than people think. Um, but, you know, it's been since 2017 where he really had uh, a standout season. Otherwise, he's kind of a high threes ERA guy with a middling strikeout rate. So that upside, I kind of chase upside at that point in the draft unless it's a deep league. So if things change a little bit if it's NL only, then he becomes a little bit more my style of like, you know, just a guy who's going to go out there and give me some innings, I think. Right, and I think if it's not working for him as a starter, they would move him to the pen, use him two, three innings at a time, and kind of get the ratios right. So I think that's part of where that floor trust comes from. Yeah, and lefty-righty pairing with Wood or Gonsolin, with uh, Mayor Gonsolin is interesting. I I think they they optioned Gonsolin too. So. Yeah, Gonsolin though, as soon as there's a need on the roster, he's back up. And I mean, May yeah May would yeah, start yeah. on just about every other team in the league. There's yeah. A handful of teams at most that have depth like the Dodgers that can afford to not have Dustin May in their starting five. But we'll see if it ends up being a mistake to actually use Wood in that role over May to begin this season. Aaron Nola is going to start an opening day just to follow up from something we discussed a while back. There was some uncertainty about his availability since he was away after being exposed or near someone who had tested positive for the virus. The only question I think with Nola is where that pitch count might be on opening day. Maybe he's a little bit lighter than some of the guys who are really going five and six in the last intra-squad games and scrimmages. So I don't know if it even is enough to not have Wood in the lineup this weekend. Because I feel like any league that is going to start up on Thursday or Friday, you know, you're going to have only a handful of games. You're going to have a bunch of your back-end starters who aren't going yet. So anybody who's getting four plus innings is absolutely in play and obviously Aaron Nola is good so despite a possible short outing all signs uh, point to Nola being good to go to start the season Uh, we had one mailbag question about a guy who's been in the news a bit recently you know so I want to ask you about Robbie Ray he's got a new delivery so it's less busy I think is the way I would describe it and he's down about 25 pounds if you see him side by side you notice the change in the delivery, but you also notice he has slimmed down quite a bit. You know, I wonder if both of those things, being a little lighter, maybe having a stronger core, and then shortening up the delivery, if it makes it easier for him to repeat and to get over the command issues that have plagued him. We know Robbie Ray can get strikeouts. The team is actually better than most people realize, so I think the setup there is pretty good. Are you more interested in Robbie Ray seeing this new delivery and and seeing him in that slim down form. Yeah, the the thing is though that it's not a new pitch. <laughs> you know, uh, all these things are great for health and I think um you know long term good for him. Um but you know, he's kind of like a low rent Patrick Corbin. It's not bad. It's not bad, but it's it's not necessarily uh, any better than where I've got him, which is 
I think, you know, a decent back-end pitcher that may be a little bit more likely to stay uh, healthy. I have him at 62, uh, right behind Luke Weaver, around Andrew Haney and Stroman, just like veterans that are worth picking up. But I don't, none of these things uh, suggest to me, you know, he has decent command of his, of his, of his fastballs. If these, if this improved the command of his slider, um, or just improved his command in general, Sure. Okay. I could see uh, something more like Zips. Zips has a 398 ERA, a 130 whip, um, and this the smallest home run rate and the smallest walk rate of most of the projections. So that would be his uh, second best year of his career. Yeah, he had one kind of outlier season with those the ratios. ERA. Yeah, so that was a fun year to have Robbie Ray. Uh, if, you, yeah, well, if you experience that, that was amazing. You know, you're always going to get strikeouts. Like that's just been right. part of what he's brought to the table for every year that he's been in Arizona. And it's a big year for him too. It's his walk year. So he's one of those guys that, you know, with that extra attention to detail, maybe we nudge him up a little bit. I've got him a little higher than you do because at that point in the draft, I think you are getting some dead weight in the ratios with a few guys, but, Job security kind of separates him from a lot of the guys I have ranked below him, and then that extra level of K's. If, if he gets lucky, even just on balls in play, and doesn't change a lot with his command, that could get him back to those really good ratios again just for this shortened season. So I think he's a guy that, for other reasons, I was already starting to think about taking more chances on. If I'm light on strikeouts and I feel pretty good about the, the foundation of ratios that I put together at the price, Robbie Ray makes sense. Yeah, he's a little bit um, like the Matt Boyd um, situation where everything else is good except for like home run rate. Um, and uh, I think we'll see some home run rate outliers this year. That's what we saw in 1981 when we split the halves. So, um, you know, I think maybe a guy like Jake Odorizzi uh, could be similar. Um, and I don't, I only have Odorizzi, you know, I have Odorizzi about 10, 10 higher. Um, but, uh, there are going to be guys where, you know, I guess even Denilson Lamette, really, there are going to be guys that have, uh, some home run problems, have had home runs problems in the past, uh, are projected into home run problems and may just never find those home run problems. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Uh, one sort of position player news item, it's more of a broader question, but Starling Castro is the inspiration for it. We're getting some details about how teams are going to set up their lineups to start the season. And it looks like Starling Castro is going to be the number three hitter in Washington. You know, Anthony Rendon being gone, there's some major offensive shoes to fill. But you look at how this could line up. It could be Turner, Eaton, Starling Castro, Soto, Howie Kendrick. That's a much better situation than anything we've seen for Starling Castro the last couple of seasons in Miami. This is a guy that hit a career high, 22 home runs last year. It's important to point out he played in all 162 games, so he maxed out volume to get to that level. But he's in a much more hitter-friendly environment too. Like leaving Miami and going to D.C. where high drives have been uh, handsomely rewarded in recent seasons, he was kind of getting a quiet park boost anyway. And now he's in a very prominent spot for a strong Washington lineup. Yeah, by hard hit angle and maximum exit below, he his best comp is Alex Verdugo. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's that far off of that in terms of other skills, too. Uh, Starling Castro uh, makes good contact, uh, uses the field, 
um, and has a surprising pop, I think, for people that forget about him. So uh, I think the the wheels days are over. Uh, you know, if he steals one bag, you're lucky. Uh, <laughs> but uh, these days, batting average and, and a few homers, I mean, um, we didn't think Howie Kendrick was going to steal many bases, and we were talking we were talking his praises. So there's definitely something to like here. I mean, he's never... He's never quite hit the ball in the air as much as you'd like, but, um, you know, he's kind of inched that forward uh, in some years. And last year was his, his best fly ball rate of his career, actually. I think the thing that I'm looking at from a broader standpoint is being more willing to upgrade players based on where they're hitting in the order. I think changes are going to happen more rapidly with roles, you know, both in the lineup, in terms of playing time, batting order, starter versus reliever, closer versus setup guy, all that stuff's going to change a lot faster because clearly teams are are responding to the fact that one game now is equal to 2.7 in a typical season, right? I mean, it's just the the nature of a shortened year. But I think getting those extra plate appearances, hitting third as opposed to hitting sixth, and obviously getting the the runs and RBI boost that can come uh, from being in that position as well makes me a lot more interested in Starling Castro than I would have been even just a few days ago, because it's easy to see how that could stick for the long haul. Grab your peanuts and popcorn. Baseball is back. That's right. The boys will be getting back out on the diamond this week. And while we may not be able to join them at the park, there is plenty of action to be had from the comfort of your home. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you on the field with a shot to play risk-free for a shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy baseball is easy to play. Just pick 10 players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for hits, runs, strikeouts, and more. There's no better way to put your baseball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if baseball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this weekend's tournament as well. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there's no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code RUN to get a free shot at a share of the millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at a share of millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit is required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, you know, let's talk about some predictions for this 2020 season. We're going to Shake things up a little bit. We're going to go to the NL Rookie of the Year Award. Kind of fun to start there on the same day that Gavin Lux gets option to minor league camp. Yeah. I think you know, with even a little bit of missed time, that puts him in a position where he's no longer the front runner for that spot. I think the chalk at this point is the guy who I think is going to win the award. Like Dylan Carlson is my favorite to get that job uh, or to get that award. Rather, I think he's going to start from day one potentially it's not confirmed just yet so that's the one thing i'm a little bit nervous about but i think just about everybody in consideration for this award has to wait a week before they're going to get called up anyway so even if carlson does get sent down we're bummed about that as fantasy players but i think he's among the first players called up about a week into the season so what do you make of carlson and do you believe that he is in fact going to be up once the second week of the season begins yeah, I do believe that. Uh, I also am uh, really excited to to see him uh, to see him play. You know, a switch hitter that can use all the field. Um, seems like 
Uh, he's increased his power in the minor leagues, uh, retained some speed. He's um, going to be an all-around contributor. I, the question is a little bit the contact rate and the batting average, but not necessarily the on-base percentage. So I think he'll hit high in the order uh, and be a, an across-the-board contributor. Um, and I think he's I think he's chalk at this point uh, for the award. I wanted to mention maybe some other uh, possible front runners. Uh, Gore, Mackenzie Gore, um, you know, uh, probably Dustin May uh, and Spencer Howard are probably the pitchers uh, that could battle it out for it. Um, and on the hitter side, uh, I think Alec Baum. Uh, you know, has a shot to even make the opening day roster because uh, the Phillies are fairly um, aggressive with their prospects and their spending. You know, they're just they're just more willing to uh, try and win now, uh, which I think is is admirable. And I think with the DH, Alec Baum has a real place. He's been playing some first base, some third base, uh, and DHing. He was the second DH uh, in one of the games. <laughs> The Phillies had two DHs. That was weird. <laughs> but I've got, I've got a little bit of a dark horse pick, and I've got the, I'll give you the reasoning before I give you the pick. So you're talking about you know these guys are likely to not start the season um, with the team. Um, we've been talking about how you know the the counting stats are going to be weird. We you know what's who's going to hit eight homers and who's going to hit twelve, and um, I think the voters and I'm one of them, um, may have a hard time looking at counting stats and being like, oh, he had nine homers this year. You know, what a good rookie of the year, you know? Um, so I think we're going to focus, you know, a lot of us, and, and, and there's going to be bigger numbers here. I think we're going to focus on batting average a lot. So uh, I think there's a real chance that Nico Horner is the National League Rookie of the Year. Uh, just because I think he is going to have the best batting average of any of the rookies. I mean, Cabrian Hayes, a uh, little bit of a shot to to come in and, and hit for good average. Carter Keboom, maybe. Uh, but Nico Horner is the best hit tool of the group that I've talked about. And uh, I'm excited to see him play. I think uh, he'll basically be one of those guys that plays five times a week and pushes his way into the starting lineup eventually. Yeah, I think that's a, a really nice like, under-the-radar type. I think the guy that kind of checks all the boxes for me, who probably also won't get delayed to start the season, is Sam Hilliard. Uh, I know the Rockies tend to mess up playing time when it comes to young players. This guy hit 42 home runs and stole 24 bases uh, between the minors and the majors last year. That was AAA in the big leagues. It wasn't like he spent half the year tearing up AA. And he yet a ninety-year-old Matt Kemp is going to start ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, Rocky's going to Rocky. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I look at that situation. I think Matt Kemp's probably a small side platoon guy. I think they see as, him as like that, kind of like the Mark Reynolds role from years past, right? But they have the universal DH, so they can use him there. Maybe occasionally put him out in the outfield. I still think it's kind of weird if you look at their depth chart to see Rymel Tapia listed ahead of Hilliard. I mean, I think Tapia is just a nice fourth outfielder. I don't really think there's any reason to believe you'd play him more than you'd play Sam Hilliard. So, For for what it's worth, uh, Fangraphs has it, uh, Hilliard, Dahl, Blackman with Tapia, T- Tapia as like an obvious uh, backup in all three positions. 
And then basically Kemp Murphy at DH and Murphy McMahon at first and McMahon Hampson at second. I think that's how I would run a team. And I think that's uh, a legitimate way to, to run uh, depth charts. But there's also the question of, you know, (laughs) what would the team do? And is the team necessarily on the same wavelength as you are? I think this is one of those years where I'm higher on the Rockies than usual because things can get so strange for them anyway. Like they're they're a high variance team for things that are out of their control, and we're in a high variance season, so it's it's pure roller coaster mode. Like the Rockies yeah. could just be on fire as an I offense. In that bold thing that I did with the, actually the impossible predictions that I did with Jason Stark, um. We had, uh, he found that the Rockies had won 37 games in a 60, uh, 60 game stretch last year, even as they lost 91 on the season. See, it's possible. And you look at the offense, there's some nice bats there. Uh, you mentioned the depth they have of just being able to move Murphy even between first and DH gives them a little extra flexibility because McMahon can play first, then someone like Brendan Rodgers or Garrett Hampson can play second. Their offense has good depth. It's going to come down to their pitching and whether or not they can find a way to just put it together and beat the park in a shorter season. The back end of the staff is is just terrible. I mean, maybe if Hoffman had grown up in another organization, he'd be good. He did have that good curveball. Uh, Freeland has a chance if he refines his command. Maybe Sensatella and Hoffman can be three-inning guys. But if you have, let's say they are three-inning guys, then you want to have bullpen depth. And this bullpen... As much as they spent on it, I like Oberg. I like Diaz. <laughs> There's not much glue there between those guys, <laughs> especially with, I mean, Chichi Gonzalez, Jeff Hoffman in the back. That's trouble. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Peter Lambert or somebody else emerges to be the five, and they they can get lucky that way. I just they look a little better than people give them credit for. That's that's my nice compliment. Yeah. Yeah. about the Rockies at this point. So I'm a little higher on them as a team than a lot of people, I think, are uh, at this point. Let's go over to the AL side for Rookie of the Year. I think Luis Robert would be the chalk, and for good reason. I mean, there's no major concern about service time because he already signed that long-term deal. He's got power. He's got speed. The lineup around him is improving. does have a teammate there, Nick Madrigal, where if he pulled the Nico Horner trick and just hit 350 for a short season, that would probably get him a lot of votes and put him on the map. Um, I think there's some interesting pitchers, Jesus Lazardo, Nate Pearson might be a nice, slightly longer odd sort of consideration here because I think the Jays need him. We talked about it a little earlier when we discussed the Jays not knowing where they're going to play this year. I think part of the Blue Jays hitting their higher end outcome is getting a lot out of Nate Pearson. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm doing a survey right now, uh, an anonymous survey, and one of the executives I talked to uh, liked the Blue Jays this year in the short season, and their comment was uh, they don't have the pitching for 162, but for 60 maybe they do. Um, so that, that kind of goes uh, both ways a little bit on um, – on Pearson, maybe they find a way to not use him, but I, you know, I think if the Blue Jays start out well, um, you know, they're they're at the point where most of their guys are in the major leagues. Most of their best prospects are in the major leagues. Like it's almost time to win. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily time to massage someone's uh, service time. 
It's especially if you're a pitcher, because how many pitchers do you want seven years from now? And with Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and Lourdes Gurriel and, and, and Vlad Guerrero and Danny Jansen, they have this actually, and even Rowdy. I like Rowdy. I've talked about him before. And I like Derek Fisher. Like they have a great collection of bats right now and they just need to, to do some pitching. If they start out well, but Trent Thornton is not doing so well, then you, you, or, or Shoemaker can't find it. Um, you know, they may even start, uh, Pearson from the, from the get go because Bo Rookie right now is there, is their number five. Uh, he's oft hurt and does not have an established track record. So, yeah, Pearson is basically the number six right now and, uh, with a bullet. So I, I like Pearson. Lizardo, though, for me is in, uh, is in the, uh, uh, rotation right now. He's healthy. Um, there's a question on how many innings he has, but I think that's a question for basically the first start, maybe the second start. Um, so I kind of like Lizardo here uh, as the best competition for, for Robert. Yeah, I think they would be one and two on most people's predictions, and Pearson's probably a steady sort of three. Unfortunately, we didn't talk about this during the news segment. A.J. Puck is going to open the season on the I.L. He's having some trouble mm. with his shoulder again. It's really a bummer because I thought he was going to be a big part of the A's having some success this year, was going to come through in a shortened season, was really going to eliminate a lot of the concerns uh, over the course of the season. I think the bigger issue I had was in-game management. Still might not get as many innings as we wanted, but uh, to shoulder strain, at least they're calling it for now, further details to come in the near future. Hopefully, A.J. Puck gets some good news. And I... And I... I had him. I updated last night, uh, and I dropped him into the low low six, maybe early seventies, thinking he could still be kind of a bench piece. Um, you know, very exciting bench piece. Uh, but as the news kept rolling in, I kept dropping him, dropping him. I've got him down uh, in the hundreds now. Um, you know, I don't know where to rank him versus Sean Manaya now. And uh, if Puck was healthy, I would take. I'd take him over five Sean Manias. So <laughs> I, I did want to mention another, and, and in the uh, AL Rookie of the Year, not to jump around too much, but uh, but we're still kind of AL Rookie. AJ Puck would have been somebody we've mentioned for AJ uh, for AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, Davey Garcia uh, is knocking on the door a little bit in uh, New York and could be the sixth starter there. And on some level, like there was some excitement about Davey on the level of like a Nate Pearson where it's like he's right here in the time when we're going to need the sixth starter. He's going to be there. I don't know, man. He was sitting 92 in the game I saw yesterday. As much as there are problems with the StatCast data, everybody that I talked to said the velocity was pretty good. Velocity is not that hard uh, to do. Um, and uh, they've got the velocity down. It's really the high-end kind of tricky stuff that StatCast is going to have a problem with. Um, so, uh, you know, I think in terms of spin, spin rate and spin axis, it, uh, may be a while before I'd really trust that data. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, uh, at 92, um, I think he's going to spend more time in the minor league camp than he is in the major league camp. I think it's Clark Schmidt over Davey Garcia at this point. If an opportunity arises in the back of the Yankees rotation, uh, Julio Rodriguez has a wrist injury. He wasn't going to get called up anyway it's too bad because he'd obviously be a contender for this kind of award if he had the opportunity 
The other name that kind of stands out to me is Joe Adele. And you just wonder how quickly are the Angels going to give him the call. It kind of feels like they're going out of their way to make stuff up as far as things he needs to work on to do the service time thing. Um, Joe Adele's ability to track the ball in right field, I think, was something I, I recently saw in some comments that were made by Joe Madden about him, which is, to me, just absurd. It's like, okay, you're clearly going to call this guy up in about a week. So I think he's right there. I mean, the extra handful of games that Luis Robert gets probably gives Robert the clear upper hand, but Adele has the skills to obviously be the guy that wins this award. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I was going to say the team situation is not the same, but Brian Goodwin's 29 uh, had the best season of his career last year and was a little bit above uh, league average. So uh, most likely he uh, profiles as a as a you know play everywhere fourth outfielder type guy. I don't I don't I, you know if if Adele especially if Adele is hitting well in camp, uh, I think that switch will come pretty easily after a week. Evan White also could be up all season, so that gives him a He's shot. He's a little bit different because I would say his his upside is probably lesser than most of the names we've mentioned, and that's kind of why he signed this long-term deal. But by signing this long-term deal, uh, he basically put himself on the roster uh, from day one. So he's going to be the the, what's the meat the, the meat and potatoes candidate. <laughs> he's going to be the pot roast. The pot roast, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, playing time is key, and he did show a lot more power once he was healthy at AA last year. Right around the time I suggested dropping him in Dynasty League, he got healthy and started, <laughs> yes, started mashing. Yes. I picked him back up, fortunately, in the league where I cut him. Hopefully, everybody out there who followed the initial advice ended up scooping him back up once it uh, became clear that health was a big part of why the power had disappeared for him. Manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their Lawnmower 3.0 personal trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. Their waterproof cordless body trimmer makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, a travel bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. All right, you know, we got uh, two more awards to predict before we sign off. Uh, let's go to the NL Comeback Player of the Year Award. My pick is probably third, fourth, maybe even fifth on the list for most people, even just on the NL side alone. Maybe it's because I'm a little high on the Rockies, but I just think back to how much everybody liked Daniel Murphy last year. We've talked about how he was playing, trying to hit with a splint on his thumb for most of last year. The park is obviously good, and he puts a ton of balls in play. I think good things can happen for Daniel Murphy, and the playing time is actually pretty stable. So I'm going to go with Daniel Murphy as the comeback player of the year in the National League this season. I was thinking Andrew McCutcheon on the hitting side uh, is... A better, maybe slightly better combination of age and recent ability to play uh, than Cespedes. Uh, although now that I look at it, 
McCutcheon is 33, Cespedes is 34. Um, uh, if Cespedes plays a lot and hits home runs, uh, I think that will maybe look a little better than McCutcheon's slightly more OBP forward approach. Um, and McCutcheon's not going to steal any bases. So, um, I guess yo over him, but there's, uh, there's an interesting thing going on, uh, with Corey Knable that like, uh, it's really obvious when someone gets a role like closer, right? It's like, uh, what if yo is like part-time first base, part-time DH, part-time left field hits 250 with eight homers, and is generally helpful for the team, but not none of those things scream star. What if McCutcheon comes back and hits 260 with a great OBP and hits six homers? Uh, you know, is that is that going to be enough? What if Knable comes in and has a one ERA and ten saves and basically is the the closer because they're they're moving Hader around again? Uh, I think Knable's uh, resume might might resonate really well with people. So. That's my trio. Uh, I think uh, Chalkish is is Yuanis Cespedes. Yeah, he's the guy everybody is into right now, and for good reason. He's a good player, as we said time and time again. He's always been an above average hitter in terms of WRC plus. As long as he's been a big leaguer, should be locked in near the heart of that order every day when he does play, and probably going to get at least four starts per week, so long as he's healthy with room to start almost every day. I think that's in his range of outcomes. Let's go to the AL side for comeback player of the year candidates. Lance McCullers kind of jumps off the page to Mm -hmm. me on the pitching side as a guy that because he missed time last year and has the ability to come through and produce kind of elite-ish numbers on the mound. I think that's going to really kind of jump off the page. If he comes up with a 270 ERA, he's been at 322 twice in his big league career, 386 in 2018. He's flashed the good whip on two occasions under a 120 whip. Always gets strikeouts. It's not a team that should be good, although I think Houston's bullpen could be a problem. I think McCullers coming off of the injury and the completely lost 2019 is going to tick a lot of boxes for the comeback player of the year award on the AL side. Yeah, yeah. And it's very visibly nasty stuff where people will be sharing images of his stuff. They already are. Um, you know, the one question is, uh, how long they'll let him go. Uh, sometimes with the walks, you know, he doesn't go deep into games. He's not the most efficient, uh, pitcher. Um, they do have the bullpen to maybe kind of play some games there, uh, and maybe rob him of, uh, of some wins and stuff. Um, I've got two hitters and, you know, one, I think these two are like, there's something about the spirit of the war that's interesting to me. It's like, you know, Sal Perez is coming back, missed the year with injury. If he plays well, uh, he'll be kind of an obvious pick because there'd be so many things where you could say, you know, he went from, you know, zero war to whatever war. Like he was one of the biggest war increasers and, you know, he was hurt. He wasn't, he didn't play. Is he coming back from not playing? Is that the spirit of the award? Or is it more someone like Chris Davis who played and was bad? Well, yeah, playing hurt versus not playing. You shouldn't necessarily be penalized for grinding too, yeah, it out. So, yeah, like yeah. Chris, Chris Davis wasn't healthy for a good chunk of last year, but he was out there trying to play. So I do think you know, the spirit of the award, it, 
missing the season entirely or missing a good chunk of it or dealing with a lot of injuries the year before, I think those are all within the framework of, of what counts. The other guy that missed most of last season is Miguel Duhar. I mean, I, I think I just want to bring him up because he's good. Like, look what he did in 2018. He hit 297, slugged 527, hit 27 home runs. And that was his rookie season. I mean, he debuted in 2017, only had eight plate appearances, but he came up with a huge season in 2018, missed almost all of last year, had surgery, is healthy. There are some questions about where he's going to play. He's moved around a lot during summer camp. But if there's one thing Miguel and Duhar can do, it's hit. And I think he's going to be one of those guys we're talking about at the end of the season and saying, why wasn't he going earlier in drafts? I mean, there's a ton to like in that park, in that lineup, and just in that individual profile. Yeah, and the profile of the guy ahead of him at maybe the easiest position for him to break through is not one that necessarily always leads to starting. I mean, with Urshela, if he takes a step back, as projections suggest, and is less than an average Major League bat, which I could quibble with, the stat cast is actually pretty positive about Urshela. He's a good hard hit angle. You know, he does some things, does a lot of things right. Uh, but if there is regression, like they say, then he's kind of a glove first-ish guy at third base. Um, he will be an above average glove and a below average bat. And that profiles more as a backup. Uh, and Andujar could go get back in there and start playing at third base. Everywhere else, I think he's worse off. Um, you know, if he, he's been playing some outfield, but uh, their outfielders, they have Hicks now healthy, Gardner, Judge, Frazier, Stanton. Uh, I would probably play all those guys ahead of Andujar given defense maybe not Gardner but that's still four outfielders ahead of him yeah Aaron Hicks could be comeback player of the year in the AL too I mean he was a big part of the fab column from last weekend I mean for good reason plenty of power a little bit of speed plays good defense in center field should play a lot and I just think the way he's been on the field pretty much every day in summer camp really bodes well for his usage I think he's going to be out there probably at least five times a week. I think what makes things a little bit tricky is that this is a team that has Mike Talkman. They've got Clint Frazier. They've got other guys that we didn't even mention yet. Yeah, I didn't even mention those guys yet. <laughs> yeah, like Talkman would start for a lot of teams. I think that's why I was surprised they brought Brett Gardner back. I know there's probably some clubhouse legacy, uh, legacy, legacy stuff true. going on there. Yeah, but they really didn't need Brett Gardner, and that was even before Aaron Hicks was healthy. So they're just loaded in the outfield when everybody's healthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're the they're the favorite. I don't I don't I don't even really see how it falls apart because I, I know that you know I'm in this survey. I'm asking some you know executives who this who this short season might hurt. And in my impossible predictions, we said you know a team like the Yankees could miss the playoffs, uh, but I don't actually see how it happens. I guess it would have to be kind of massive injury. I mean, it would have to be like it couldn't just be Judge going down again. It had to be like Judge Stanton. Paxton, maybe even Luke Voigt also going down. You know what I mean? Like Chapman went down and they have Zach Britton coming in who has like the most negative launch angle of all time. You know, um, <laughs> you know, the, the guy who burns worms like no one's ever burned worms. Uh, so and, and they still have Ottavino and, and Green and Conley. And like, I guess maybe the 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 bullpen doesn't strike me uh, as uh, aggressively uh, dominant as maybe in the past, but we're still talking about once Chapman coming back, you're still talking about going four or five deep with really good pitchers. So 
And and my bold prediction was Loizaga is the glue that keeps his team together and leads uh, the team and wins just because he's going to vulture, vulture, vulture. So I don't really know how uh, this team falls apart unless it's a, just a massive amount of injury. Yeah, they look well positioned in pretty much every facet. I think if the bullpen's not as good as expected, they can out hit problems with their pitching, whether it's with the relievers or even with the back end of the rotation. Like if they don't identify a fourth or fifth starter who really gets the job done consistently. And I, I like the candidates they have. I think Jay Happ could bounce back. He's kind of old and boring. Jordan Montgomery, Montgomery is, is interesting to me. Like I, I like I like Jordan Montgomery. He's another guy that has the up arrow next to his name, kind of like Burns and Nuka, who yeah. we talked about earlier. But I think Montgomery, long-term, has a better chance of being a starter than someone like Sean Newcomb does. I think there's a deeper repertoire there, and that goes a, a long way toward better making command, that Better command, and he's... The, the velocity was one thing that um, sort of held him back, but he did really well um, at 90, even, uh, in 2018. And uh, apparently, he's back up to 92, 93 uh, which is where he was in 2017 when he kind of burst onto the scene. So uh, I've always thought that he had the the pitches he needed, uh, the command he needed, and now he's back up at 92 post surgery. Um, yeah, I'm I, I've got the upper arrow on him. I'm moving him uh, probably into uh, that early 70s, maybe uh, just ahead of Sean, uh, Dylan Cease, um, who has all the stuff in the world and half the command. Yeah, I think Montgomery is definitely viable in 12-team mixed leagues at this point, maybe even going to be a streamer in 10s and, and smaller. I think that's the kind of uh, ceiling he brings to the table. was just starting to put all those pieces together. Did really well on that debut back in 2017. 388 ERA, 123 whip, 144 Ks, and 155 out of third innings. Really good to hear that velocity is back to those pre-surgery levels. And I guess he actually, he actually fits into the conversation as well as a comeback player to an extent because we only saw him for four innings last year as he was making the final steps back following Tommy John surgery. So I think he could technically get into that conversation as well. If you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take the time to do that. We greatly appreciate it. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get a free 30-day subscription at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Really nice trial offer there. If you want to reach us via email, rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the best way to do that. On Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. And as I mentioned earlier, more predictions for the big awards. I got the Cy Young Awards, the MVP Awards, and our playoff teams, including World Series winners, coming up on our episode on Thursday. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Thanks for listening. Thank you.